Thank you for joining us on the sermon podcast for Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We love being able to distribute our sermons in this format, but we would love it even more if you could join us in person at 5208 Crow Mountain Road in Russellville, Arkansas, or online at the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church Facebook page. We have Sunday school classes at 9 a.m. with a worship service right after at 10 a.m. Let's now prepare our hearts to hear a message from God's Word. Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Our scripture reading is going to be pretty. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning, so our main scripture reading is going to be short and sweet. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 18. And if you would, when you get there, would you stand and we'll hear the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Sends the reading of God's word, the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is your word and we are your people. Would you come this morning and make the gospel known through these texts and through the other texts that we'll be covering this morning. Would you come and make our hearts thankful in your presence? We ask it all in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may have heard of uh, Henry Ironside, or some people called him Harry. That Harry was his nickname, I think. But uh, Henry Ironside was the former pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago. And there's an amusing story about him that Ray Steadman shares in one of his books. And the story goes... Uh, that Pastor Pastor Ironside was going to eat lunch one day, and he walked into a crowded restaurant where he happened to get the last open table. Well, just as Ironside was about to begin his meal, a man approached and asked if he could join him. Ironside invited him to have a seat. Then, as was his custom, Ironside bowed his head in prayer, and he, when he opened his eyes, the other man said, Oh, do you have a headache? Ironside said, No, no, I don't. And the other man said, well, is there something wrong with your food? And Ironside said, nope, I was simply thanking God, as I always do, for I eat. And the man said, oh, you're one of those people, aren't you? Well, I want you to know I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. Well, Ironside, yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does, too. <laughs> Today marks the last Sunday before Thanksgiving, and most of us this week are going to prepare a feast and share it with our families and friends, and this is what we're doing this morning after church. We're, we're eating. We, we eat the last Sunday before Thanksgiving. We eat the last Sunday before Christmas. I think we eat on Valentine's Day, too. We, we eat whether there's an occasion to do so or not, and I'm fine with that, uh, but it's what we do. So this isn't anything new for us. It's a tradition that we've done all of our lives, and it's something we look forward to every year. After the rush of trying to cook the meals and get, get the house ready for guests, we're able to sit down with one another and genuinely fellowship. After all, when you're at a table with another person and you've got food spread out everywhere, do you just sit there and eat in silence? No, you talk. Because eating isn't strictly utilitarian. 
the, the conversation may start out as pass the salt, would you like some potatoes? But soon it evolves into how's work going? How are you liking that new car? How are you liking that new son-in-law? Right? You start at the surface and the conversation starts to naturally go deeper. What we start to realize is that soon the meals aren't just feeding their body, feeding our bodies, they're feeding our souls. And what we have to understand is that God actually designed it that way. As a matter of fact, you can trace the entire you can trace the entire story of the Bible through meals. You, you can trace the entire story of the Bible through meals. In Genesis 3, you have the forbidden meal of Adam and Eve partaking of the forbidden fruit. In Exodus 12, you have the Passover meal with Moses and the Israelites. You have, in Matthew 26, Jesus and the disciples partaking in the Last Supper, the last meal that Jesus would share in before his arrest and crucifixion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you've got Paul talking about how the Last Supper is a pattern for how we should celebrate the, the Lord's Supper in, in the context of worship in church. And then finally, in Revelation 19, you've got the final meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we gather this week to partake of our yearly feast this Thursday, we need to be aware that God is speaking to us through this meal as well. And, and so what's, what's God saying? What is God saying in the turkey and stuffing? As we think about not only the season of Thanksgiving, but more importantly, the concept of Thanksgiving, there are three things about thankfulness that I think we would do well to keep in mind. Number one, I want us to see that thankfulness is the will of God for our lives. Thankfulness is the will of God for our lives. And I want us to see that in the text that we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Look at what Paul says. He says, in everything, give thanks. He doesn't stop there. There's a, there's a semicolon. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This verse is interesting to me because it's so straightforward and direct. Because one of the most common questions that people ask, and I'm sure all of us in this room have asked this question also, we've asked, what's the will of God for my life? What does God want me to do? Where does God want me to go? Well, here, Paul straight up tells you what it is. Give thanks in all things. And then there's another verse where Paul directly talks about the will of God. In, in, in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Those are the only two verses in the entire Bible that say, here's what, God, here's what God's will for your life is. Those are the only two verses that say, here's, what's God, here's what God's will for your life is. Be thankful and abstain from sexual immorality. It's pretty straightforward. Be thankful and keep your pants on, right? You can't get any more straightforward than that. There are times in our lives whenever we want to know what God would have us to do and we want a big neon sign in the sky that points us in a specific direction. When we ask God what he wants for our lives, it's almost like we want him to give us a printout of MapQuest directions. Who, who remembers MapQuest? Right? But me and Brittany, we, we've evolved. We use Google Maps. But I'm sure some of you have, <laughs> still use MapQuest. 
But we want, whenever we pray for God's will for our lives, we want God to give us a printout of MapQuest directions that we should follow to get the results that we think he wants for us. We want that specific answer. Well, how about instead of jumping to the specific answer of what we should do with our lives, how about we start with the general answers that God gives us? How about we start with the things that God has already revealed to us? Repent. Believe the gospel. Pursue sanctification. Be thankful. Then as we do those things that we have all, that have already been revealed for us to do in his word, we will begin to understand more specific things that God would have us to do. I think some Christians get really worried about this because they think, well, I don't want to make the wrong decision. It could, it could really affect God's will for my life. What if God wants me to buy the three-bedroom, two-bedroom house instead of the four-bedroom, one, four-bedroom, one-bathroom house, right? What, what if God wants me to buy this house over there? Or what if God wants me to move to this town and that, or instead of that town or take this job instead of that job? I could really mess up God's will for my life. You know, Christians worry about this kind of thing. But let me bring you some comfort on that issue. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, and whatever you do, the word whatever there is very important. Because Paul is saying, Paul, Paul is saying, whatever you decide to do, whatever you decide to do, it doesn't matter. God might have a specific plan for your life, and you might need to discern what that plan is. But whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, we ask, tend to ask questions like, should I get a business degree or a communications degree? Should I take this job or that job? Should I buy this house or that house? The big question is, can you devote your whole being to Jesus Christ while you're doing any of those things that you're thinking about doing. If you can, then do it. Whatever you do, make sure that you can do it in Christ's name with a thankful heart, because thankfulness is God's will for your life overall. What can you be, what can you be most thankful in your life doing? Then do it. If it's going to prevent you from honoring God, if it's going to prevent you from being thankful, if it's going to prevent you from pursuing sanctification in your walk with Christ, don't do it. And so I want us to see, first of all, that thankfulness is the will of God for our lives. Secondly, I want us to see that thankfulness is the witness of a changed life. Thankfulness is the witness of a changed life. Look at the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, verses 11 through 19. Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Notice what it says here. It says, And it came to pass, as he, he being Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go shoot yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto them, Arise, go by way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now I'm going, I'm not going to delve too much into the details of the story, but what I want us to see is that there were ten lepers there who were healed, but only one was made whole. Only one was completely healed. Now listen, I'm not a, I, I'm reading from a King James Bible right now, but I'm not a King James onlyist by any stretch of the imagination. But I think the King James does an excellent job of telling us what happened to the man that came back to give thanks to Jesus. At the end of verse 19, virtually every translation I looked at said, Your faith has made you well. But only the King James says, Your faith has made you whole. That was significant to me. All ten were healed of their physical infirmity. But nine of those ten, nine of those ten healings only went skin deep. One of those healings went below the surface to the heart. All ten were cleansed, but only one was made whole. What this shows us is that lots of people come to Jesus because they want Jesus to solve their problems. They don't actually want Jesus. But this one man that returned to give thanks to Jesus understood the value of what happened to him, and he responded with gratitude. Thankfulness was the evidence of wholeness in this man's life. All ten of the lepers recognized who Jesus was and knew what he could do for them because if you're a leper, you're not supposed to call somebody's name and ask for mercy from them. Under the law, you're supposed to say unclean, unclean, so that people run away from you. But they addressed Jesus by his name and pleaded for mercy. So if they all knew Jesus, why didn't they all return and give thanks? Why did the healing only go skin deep, as it were? Because according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so for this one leper who came back, thankfulness was the witness of a changed life and of a changed heart. If you're not thankful, if there's no gratitude, there needs to be an examination of where your heart is. Finally, I want us to see that thankfulness is a willingness to look at Christ in the midst of chaos. Thankfulness is a willingness to look to, look to Christ in the midst of chaos. And I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to try not to be very long this morning, uh, mostly because we have food in the back, and I, and I think Jim specifically requested last week that I not preach very long whenever we have potluck, so. <laughs> it's okay, Jim, I'm hungry too. And so what, 
Finally, I want to see that thankfulness is, the, is willingness to look to Christ in the midst of chaos. Look at chapter, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57. Just three short verses here. Notice what Paul says. Paul has been building an argument all throughout 1 Corinthians 15. He argues for the resurrection of Christ, and then he argues that the resurrection of Christ is what is what motivates and, and, and empowers our own resurrection. And he builds this whole argument, quoting from the old, quoting from the Old Testament this entire time, and he's building up to this big crescendo. In verses 55, 56, and 57, he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does Paul do? He says, in the face of all of this, he said, he said, in light of all of these arguments in turn, uh, concerning the resurrection, because we know that Christ is alive, because we know that we too are going to share in his resurrection, we can look death in the eye and make fun of death. We can look at the, we can look at the death that is caused by chaos, and we can look death square in the eye and say, death, you have no victory here. You have no hold here. You have no power here. Now, I don't have to tell you all this, but 1 Corinthians 15 is this long, long piece of, I'm not going to say poetry, because it's not poetry. It's, it's this address that Paul makes to argue that the resurrection is indeed the only way to life. And so the world around us, what we see is that the world around us is full of death and despair. And Paul isn't unaware of that fact. Paul isn't unaware of the fact that, that the world is full of chaos, death, and destruction. Because, you know, if, if we tend to, to talk like this now, if we tend to talk about death the way Paul does, and we tend to talk about having faith in difficult circumstances the way Paul does, we'll, the, the general reaction that we get from people around us is, oh, get real. You know, you're, you're living in a pie-in-the-sky world. You can't possibly believe that stuff. That's the general reaction that we tend to get from the world. But what we have to understand about Paul is that he's not like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons who just lives in an optimistic bubble. Paul is a real person who has faced real suffering and real tragedy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes the trouble that he and his fellow ministry workers experienced in Asia, and he says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And then later, also in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what Paul said. He said, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And always carrying around in the body the death of the Lord Jesus, that also the life of Jesus might be expressed in our bodies. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that also the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. 
We have the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. So we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us through Jesus and will present us with you. All these things, notice this one verse, the culmination of this section in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15. Notice what he says. He says, all these things are for your sakes, so that the abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many might overflow to the glory of God. What's Paul saying? He's saying that hardship causes us to look to Christ, and looking to Christ causes us to endure in the work that God has called us to. And enduring in our work creates a witness that others can be thankful for and rejoice in. Being thankful means that you're willing to look above the deadly and destructive world around us and look up to Christ. When there's chaos around you, look to Christ. When the lives of everyone around you is falling apart, show them how to look to Christ. When you experience despair and suffering, you can still live in such a way that the life of Jesus is shown in you. There's an old story that's been told of a king who had a close friend with whom he grew up. And the friend had a habit of looking at every situation that ever occurred in his life, whether it was good or bad, and he would say, thank God. One day the king and his friend were out on a hunting expedition, and the friend would load and prepare the guns for the king. And the friend had apparently done something wrong in preparing one of the guns, because after taking the gun from his friend, the king fired it, and his thumb was blown completely off. Examining the situation, the friend remarked, as usual, Thank God, this could have been so much worse. The king was furious, and he said, How can you possibly thank God? God is the one who allowed my thumb to be blasted off. And the king was so mad that he had his friend thrown in a dungeon. About a year later, the king was on another hunting expedition in an area that he should have known to stay clear of. And cannibals captured him and took him back to their village so that they could sacrifice him to their gods and eat him. They tied his hands behind his back, stacked some wood, put him on a stake, and as the high priest of their village came near to set, the, set fire to the wood, he noticed that the king was missing a thumb. And part of the rules of their religion was that they weren't allowed to partake of a human sacrifice that wasn't whole. So they untied the king and released him to go back home, and they were disappointed that they didn't have a whole meal. Well, as he returned home, he was reminded of the event that had taken his thumb, and he felt remorse for throwing his friend in, in a dungeon. He went immediately to the dungeon to speak with his friend, and he said, You were right to give thanks to God for my thumb being blown off. And he proceeded to tell the friend what had happened. And when the king was done offering his heartfelt apology to his friend, his friend said, Thank God. He said, what do you mean by thanking God? You've been locked up in this dungeon for over a year. And the friend replied, if I had not been in this dungeon, I would have been with you, and they would have sacrificed and eaten me. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for what we have heard here this morning. We are thankful for the ability to laugh and to take joy in anything that you give us to laugh and take joy in. Father, as we go to eat this morning, would you be with us in the meal? Would you speak to us in the meal, O oh God? 
We love you. We praise you. We give you all the thanks and the praise and the glory. We owe everything we have to you. And in your son's name, we lift up these praises. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special message. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.